Protecting your assets for the next generation. You're listening to The Strong Room, a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 770 CHQR. Welcome to The Strong Room. I'm Peter Watts. We begin today with a couple of stories that I think are an integral part of good estate planning. The first is the State of Canada's Defined Contribution Benefit Pension Plans. For those of you fortunate enough to be members of such a plan, the latest report from Aon Hewitt, a leading global professional services firm that provides a broad range of risk, retirement, and health solutions, suggests that defined benefit plans in Canada are in good shape. Brenda Prisco is a partner in the Calgary office of Aon Hewitt. I'll take a little minute to, to describe what a defined benefit plan is. It's a pension plan that promises a lifetime income for plan members. So the foundational commitment of the plan is definitely a predictable source of lifetime income. Um, from a financial health perspective, 2017 was actually a very good year for many defined benefit plans in Canada. As shown in the AON's uh, quarterly median solvency ratio survey, the average solvency funded position of the plan rose to just under 100%, so almost full funding, which is really, really good news, with close to 50% of the plans being fully funded as of January 1st. So that's, that's really awesome improvement in the financial position of the plans in Canada. Um, and the improvement really came from two primary sources. The first, uh, kind of a combination of market conditions, and that was driven by a slight decrease in the pension liabilities coming from the movement of bond yields, but together with strong equity market performance. And so that generated really good returns for the pension plans, which helped improve their financial position. And then the second significant source of the improvement really came from the funding by the plan sponsors. So there's been a healthy infusion of cash funding into the defined benefit plans in Canada. Um, they are they are certainly noted around the world as one of the strongest. Um, got some of the strongest pension funding regulations for pension plans in the world. And so we're seeing that come through in terms of the financial health of the plans. So the plans we have would seem to be doing well. Are there fewer of them, however? And, and what is taking their place if they are being replaced by something else? Yeah, so, so I think um, if we kind of think back over the last, let's say, two decades, a number of defined benefit plans uh, did what we call close their membership, and it was either a closure for future service for active members or really a closure for um, anybody new hired. And, and so that happened, that's been, you know, going on for the last couple of decades. Um, I'd say what is kind of new on the horizon is as these plans get to, these closed plans get to better funding, more and more plan sponsors are now taking a look at what now, what next. And so some of them are certainly considering whether they'll go out to the annuity market and, you know, settle their obligations by uh, having the insurance companies buy the annuities and then paying the insurance companies. And so that, you know, obviously if that happens, the security of plan members doesn't change because no matter what, um, whether it's paid through the pension plan or it's paid from the insurance company, the members' benefits are protected. So that's certainly going to be a topic for conversation in 2018. Um, but the other, the other thing that a lot of uh, plan sponsors are now making sure that they talk about 
is whether or not, even though there's been an improvement in the financial position, whether or not they expect any market corrections. Um, and if so, what might that mean? And might they want to try and lock in the financial improvement of the plan so that it doesn't deteriorate into the future? 46% of plans were fully funded as of January 1st. Are there concerns for those plans which are not fully funded at this point? Right. So th- so there's... Um, so that's a number, it's a statistical number, but there's actually a lot of the plans that um, aren't fully funded, but that are very close to full funding. Um, so that's good news. I mean, there's been an, uh, an improvement for most of the plans and, and uh, certainly an improvement where many, many are getting to full funding. And it depends on um, where the plans are located in Canada and the type of plan. So, for example, in Alberta, there's a lot of the defined benefit public sector plans that aren't yet fully funded, but they're very close. And the good news for those plans, as an example, is not only has their financial position really been improving, but those plans, you know, ask members and employers and plan sponsors to contribute towards any deficit. So for those plans, there is there have been announced in 2018 some contribution reductions for plan members. So it's it's great news that way. So in terms of the overall health, we've seen an improvement of all the plans. There are still some that aren't fully funded, and there are still some, but they're fewer and fewer that you know aren't even 90% funded. But the good news is many, many more are getting close to full funding. For anyone putting together an estate plan or a life plan, the proceeds of a defined benefit pension plan are likely to form a good structural base for an income in retirement. Your Macmillan advisor will be able to help you develop such a plan that will incorporate that asset into the overall framework to provide your financial security, especially through your retirement years. A second story today comes to us from Michael Wolfson, a member of the Centre for Health Law, Policy and Ethics at the University of Ottawa and a former Assistant Chief Statistician at Statistics Canada. Mr. Wolfson begins with the recent changes to the Income Tax Act, which have been brought in by the federal government. Well, my understanding is the for the income sprinkling part, the draft legislation is there. Uh, for the passive income, there's some principles and some ideas, but there I think the my understanding is the legislation is still being drafted. Do you have some thoughts on the discussion that you have been party to or have heard about uh, leading up to this point? My concern stems from some academic research that I did uh, two, three years ago, uh, and it was focused primarily, uh, indeed solely, on the income sprinkling aspect. And I was concerned that the uh, it was looking like... Uh, there was a fair amount of revenue cost uh, and inequity associated with people's ability to uh, sprinkle income, particularly dividends, uh, but to some extent salaries uh, and wages also, to family members in ways that didn't reflect their contributions to the business and really amounted to basically income splitting. In terms of the buildup of capital in, in you know, farming operations, ranching operations, uh, small business uh, generally, uh, this seems to have been a target of um, these proposed changes. And yet a lot of these people, you know, don't have fully indexed pensions or anything like that. And and the cash flow that they're able to generate through their business activity is what is going to fund their retirement. Is that a, a strategy that you accept uh, and that you think uh, may be vulnerable uh, as a result of these changes? If you want to contribute to an RRSP, pay yourself a salary out of the corporation. 
uh, it's not at all clear to me why one should be able to uh, save uh, with 85-cent after-tax dollars inside a company while everybody else who has a multi-hundred-thousand-dollar income uh, has to save uh, either with 50-cent dollars if they're in a top marginal bracket or uh, use the RRSP. So that's one point. Another point is that, uh, you know, I think there might start to be an increased use of the personal pension plans, but there's nothing stopping a person who's incorporated from setting up a, uh, we used to call them top hat pension plans, inside their uh, corporation. So if you want to save for retirement, there already exist mechanisms, and there's a limit on the amount of uh, tax assistance for retirement saving uh, that's been built into the tax system uh for uh, decades now, since the, around 1990, when the comprehensive limits were uh, introduced, in turn following the ideas in the Carter Royal Commission, which reported in '66. So that stuff is is already there. I don't see why uh, one should be able to do additional uh, saving for retirement. That's different from using retained earnings inside your company to help the company grow. And your question was about retirement. So there already are retirement provisions. Uh, they should be used uh, if that's what you want to do. And I guess the point is that uh, a small business uh, needs a plan, a small business owner needs a plan, a rancher, a a farmer, uh, uh, anybody like that needs a plan that incorporates uh, tax planning and incorporates retirement saving in the mechanisms that you have described um, and and not simply uh, a case of, uh, you know, continuing to build up cash in the business uh, to uh, prepare for retirement. I have no problem with people wanting to plan. That's all right. I guess it's uh, whether you, you think it's your uh, right to be able to save $0.85 cent dollars if you're eligible for the small business deduction uh, for uh, retirement purposes or whether, you, like everybody else, you should use a, either a pension plan or an RRSP to do that. Everyone's situation is unique, which means each life plan will be unique. You need to review what is best for you with your Macmillan advisor. And we're back with more in a moment on The Strong Room on 770 CHQR.